Before we get started, I just wanted to say we've received a couple of messages and emails and we love it. We love to hear from you. So I just wanted to put out an open invitation. If there's something that you wanted to respond to in one of our episodes, or if you had an idea for an episode that you'd love for us to consider, send us an email. Our email address is gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you, whether you just want to say hi, or you want to pitch us the next incredible episode idea. Either way, we'd love to hear from you, and now we'll get to the episode. Today on the show, we're talking critters. Big critters, small critters, and critters you'll wish you never heard of. Looking at you, chair dogs. Welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. And my name's Leo. And today we're talking critters! Critters! <laughs> Everyone's favorite. And it would be... No, there are ways that we could make this a spoiler episode, but we're not. But we're <laughs> this not. This is a spoiler-free Critter Talk. Welcome to the Critter Corner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the Zaboomafu episode of Kamjabar. So, yes. you know, you and I are going to get our backpacks and go out on a safari in a second here. It's going to be great. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. But like you said at the top of the episode, no spoilers today. If you haven't read the novels yet... And if you haven't watched the movie like the rest of us, <laughs> then nothing to worry about today. Yeah. A lot of what we're going to talk about today, it, you will encounter as you read the books and as you um, engage in a Dune fandom. But the details, the juicy details about these critters comes often from the encyclopedia mm -hmm. or very specific single paragraphs that then are never referenced ever again <laughs> it's it's really it's a little shocking yeah but all the more fun to kind of take a, a relaxing episode to just explore some fun animals and the things that make this world so vibrant and alive and weird and and fun yeah, absolutely. Today's a world-building episode. Today's a fun, furry facts episode. <laughs> and, you know, as is tradition, Leo, there may be only one mention of that animal in the entire Dune series. Yeah. But you can bet you and I are going to spend 20 fucking minutes yeah. talking about <laughs> We're both going to get matching tattoos of that one animal. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, so I was thinking about it, and I was like, how do we organize these animals? You know, because a lot of them just, like, don't fall into nice categories, and it, it's hard to categorize them. Right. So what we did was we're going to go in order of likelihood of showing up in the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. So I think that makes the most sense. We're all highly anticipating the movie, of course. Yeah. And we're definitely not going to see all of the animals we're going to discuss today in that first <laughs> Danny Villeneuve film. Starring Timothy Chalamet and Oscar Isaac's beard. Although, can you imagine if the first shot is just all of these animals? Oh my God. <laughs> Duke Leto Atreides is going, <laughs> my son. Let me take you to the zoo. We need to look at all these animals and name them. <laughs> <laughs> One after another. 
So our first category of animals here, most likely to show up in the film, are the animals that we encounter on Arrakis, on the planet Dune. And since most of that first movie is going to take place on Arrakis, we assume high likelihood that we will see these animals. And in fact, the first animal on our list, we've already seen. (laughs) I was going to say, pretty bold to start with this one, but then you're completely right. In this order, we've already seen this animal in the trailer. Yeah. So cross it off the list. It's in the movie. So, uh, of course, I'm talking about the sandworm. One of the most iconic animals in the Dune universe. Utterly iconic. Again, this is referenced in Star Wars. This is... Tremors, Star Trek. Totally. Yeah. The sandworm is iconic not only in the Dune universe, but across science fiction. Yeah. You can see references to it or just uh, blatant copies of it yeah. in many, many sci-fi <laughs> television shows and novels and movies. And you can trace that lineage back to... The Sandworm of Arrakis, yeah, otherwise known as Shai Halud, sometimes called the Old Man of the Desert, which I hope my grandchildren call me someday. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start calling you that now if you want. Oh, uh, yeah, please do. But the problem with starting this episode with Shai Halud with the Sandworm right. is that we uh, can't say too much about it. <laughs> it would be hugely spoilerific yeah for us to get into the sandworms and what they are and what they do and how they exist and etc etc because honestly a lot of the joy of reading dune the first time and experiencing the world is learning more about the sandworms because they're so critical to arrakis and they're so central to the story as a whole so we won't get into spoiler territory with the sandworms but we figured we'd hit you with some fun facts yeah and again Totally. There's some mystery around them. And it's fun to preserve that mystery because we are following an off-worlder into Arrakis, learning along with Paul. Yeah. So to start off with some fun facts about Shai Halud, they can range in size. Some of them are incy beansy tiny whiny, which is to say uh, 100 meters long. Uh. And s- some get a little bigger at uh, 400 meters long. <laughs> You know, it's a spectrum. It's like small dogs, big dogs, but even the small dogs will roll over your house, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you gave me the house analogy because as someone who grew up not in the metric system, (laughs) 100 meters means nothing to my brain. (laughs) It's, I mean, okay. That's, so that's a good point. A hundred meters is about 300 and just shy of 330 feet. Wow. So, yeah, just that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's about, uh, that's about a football field, right? Three feet in a yard. Oh. Football fields are a hundred yards long. Yeah. No. So, yeah, these, that's a good, you know what, Abu? Yeah. You've solved it with sports yet again. Something, something American. (laughs) Football. American. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes, so the uh, smallest sandworms are longer than a football field, just to put that in perspective. Yeah, exactly. That's wild. And then, you know, beyond that, they can get up to uh, multiple football fields Four. long, which is <laughs> wild to think. Yeah. yeah, these are these are big, big creatures. And obviously, we saw it in the trailer. Yeah. These are big boys. Uh, something else we saw in the trailer, actually, Leo, in that final shot. Oh, my God, yeah. Was their teeth. Yeah. Sandworms have a set of 1,000 teeth. It's almost enough. 
And to put that in context, <laughs> humans on average have 32. On average. <laughs> I've seen some ice hockey players who bring that average way down. Yeah, exactly. That, that's why I threw on average in there because I was like, there's somebody who's gotten into one too many fights. And you know what? Still beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Still majestic. But not as majestic as a thousand. Right. Teeth. Can you imagine brushing that? Damn. It's a long time. You'd have to replace your Quip electric toothbrush, like... <laughs> Not sponsored. Every time you brush. Also, hard if you have no arms. Mm. Uh, brushing your teeth becomes a process. So, Leo, if they have no arms... Yeah. How are these sandworms eating? Are they using these 1,000 teeth to eat all these animals that we're going to talk about? Well, you know, if off the top of my head, if I had to just, like, spitball an answer without any reference, ah. uh, their diet consists of gaseous chemicals produced by their movement along the desert sands because they are, of course, autotrophs. Ah. You know, just fun, casual. Uh. Nice. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you read that exact <laughs> bullet point that I wrote back at me. Love to hear. <laughs> oh, you noticed. <laughs> uh, uh they're filter feeders. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. ultimately, as they kind of worm their way through the sand, they are creating their own nutrients, it seems like, with with this sort of chemical process of heat and friction that releases gases from the sand around them. So, uh, neat. You know, wish I could do that every time I was feeling peckish. <laughs> yeah, like you said, they're autotrophs, which is a term that I didn't know before doing research for this episode. So <laughs> yeah. any science teachers out there that are listening, teach Dune in your classes, folks. Totally. Yeah, please. Learn, learn about ecology through Dune. That would be amazing. But uh, autotrophs, like, just like you said, they are self-sufficient. They create their own nutrients by digesting is the wrong word because it's not like they have a stomach system. But right. basically plants are a good example of autotrophs. A lot of plant life, a lot of fauna. They will convert chemicals and gases into nutrients for themselves. And that's what sandworms do as well, as they crawl around the desert. That's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool. The thousand teeth are just there for yeah. pure intimidation. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the shot in the trailer of just the... Oh, it's beautiful. Looks great. So good. So through this process, like plants, they create oxygen. They, they re Or they, they release oxygen. They don't fabricate it. They release oxygen into the air, which is wonderful and answers a question about a desert planet where you say oh, okay where did the atmosphere and oxygen come from yeah uh, well that it's made by all of the plants oh no we don't have a lot of plants well luckily we've got these big old oxygen factories just mm -hmm. rolling around <laughs> chugging through the desert exactly and they're actually um referred to as oxygen factories as well oh. historically in the empire uh, people have that have studied sandworms have called them oxygen factories. So much like plants, this digestive process that gives them nutrients and converts chemicals into nutrients for themselves also gives back to humanity on that planet by creating oxygen. So win-win. Win-win. And there are no downsides. Nature is metal, folks. N nature is metal. Uh, <laughs> and... That's mostly what we can say about them because, yeah. again, the more we say about them, the less there is for you to discover joyously on your first adventure through Dune. So we'll leave uh, the old men of the desert there. Oh, did you call, Leo? Sorry? 
Oh, sorry, Abu. I I, I meant the other <laughs> old men of the desert. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, got it, got yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll leave them there. We'll leave the sandworms there for the moment. And we'll move on to smaller, much less prominent, but still uh, fun and interesting parts of the sort of Arrakis ecosystem. Yeah, totally. And what's interesting is this animal is so high on our probability of showing up list because... I legitimately think we might see it in the movie. I think we will. Even though it's mentioned, again, maybe like in a couple of paragraphs in the entire series. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that these Salago bats or Chilago bats, I don't know how Italian to get with that. <laughs> I think Silago. Silago seems right. It's a, it's an Italian word for sky, right? But it, it shares the Latin roots from Spanish, which is Cielo. So I, I think it's probably going to be with the soft C. Okay. I don't know. Again, if you feel adamantly that this should be a, pronounced Chilago, then email us. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll talk about it. <laughs> exactly. So these Chilago bats are referenced, again, like I said, only a couple of times in the Dune novels. And they're important because they are something called Destrons. Right. And we need to back up and explain what Destrons are a little bit. Right. Leo, if you're out in the desert, yeah. the one thing you don't have, right, is cell service. Right, yeah. Like, there's no cell antennas. Sucks. You can't send a text back and forth. Yeah, it's awful. No bars. Yeah, most most importantly, you can't send nudes. Dude, all the... Yeah. Uh, that's what I want to do. <laughs> Where am I sending my nudes? Come on. Give me those Give me those bars so I can send these pics. So, Destrons are the solution. Oh. Maybe not to nudes, actually. But they're the solution to not being able to communicate and send messages through normal means when you're in the desert. Unsolicited Destrons picks. <laughs> <laughs> so, to explain what Destrons are, okay. Destron is actually short for dispersoid transponder. Right. And... In essence, it's basically just a communication device that was created by the Fremen people, who are a major player in the Dune novels, right. and we'll definitely see them in the Dune movie. In fact, we already have Stilgar, for one. True. Javier Bardem. Yeah. And the, the Fremen created this communication device that encodes messages in the neural system of a creature, i.e. the Salago bat. So the way it works is that there's a tiny crystal called a wave translator that's installed in the brain of whatever animal is going to be your messenger. And this is what encodes the message and uh, transmits the message to the person it's being delivered to. There's just a password. You use another device to like say or insert the password, basically. And then the message is repeated back to you. So it's kind of a, again, we've talked about technology a lot in a previous episode and in various other episodes on Gamjabar. It's another biological solution in a universe where technology, traditional technology as we know it, isn't trusted right. because of the Butlerian Jihad. So these bats then become basically sort of high-tech carrier pigeons, <laughs> if you want to think of it that way. This is also a solution that dodges the necessity of planet-side infrastructure, right? Yeah. You don't have to lay down cables on this planet crawling with as we covered football field long worms you don't have to worry about ground cables anymore because the infrastructure is effectively the natural flow of whatever creatures you've decided to implant these crystals in which the bats the silago bats were 
used often because they had a larger vocalization speech like sound part of their brain. Yeah, we're not neurologists, so we don't know what that means. But Which, yeah, <laughs> kind of just going on the the encyclopedia's wisdom here. But the the installation of this crystal was apparently the hardest part of setting up this system. Um, but that's why bats were used because, of course, there's I'm sure a benefit to your messengers are basically invisible in the night sky. Yep, <laughs> they can get around very easily in the dark. They're also smart. They're pretty intelligent creatures, and bats in particular had this larger vocalization part of their brain, I guess, and made it easier to like, surgically implant this crystal. And it, it said hard to damage about the, the brain. I, I, I'll just take its word for that. <laughs> that seems, yeah. seems bold to be like, you know what's hard to damage? The brain. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just... You know, maybe Salago bats just have rock-hard brains. Tough brains. Strong minds. Shouts to yeah. Salago bats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like you said, there are a number of benefits to using those bats. You you listed a number of them, and they're native to the planet, I think, is the most important one. Right. They already exist on the planet. You know they can survive in the desert. There's no training to be done. There's no... Really, all you do is make sure that you train the bats to get from point A to point B. Totally. And since the bats already know their environment... That should be fairly easy to do. And this is a pretty secure way to send messages back and forth in a world where telephone cables and internet wire doesn't exist. You just use the natural biology around you. You implant a little crystal. Yeah. And boom, you're sending encrypted messages, baby. You're sexting <laughs> and no one's going to hack that bat. Dude, the Fremen sexting culture is out of control. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine the delay, though? <laughs> like, you're horny. You send a text to your girl. That bat's not getting there for another week, damn it. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what they did in the, like, 1700s? Yeah. I can't wait for that sext letter to arrive months <laughs> months after I sent mine. Right. <laughs> yes. Man, we are living in a privileged world. So to end up, end our section on Destrons here, you might be wondering... Okay, if they used bats, did they use other animals? Right. Yes, definitely. These crystals were implanted in a number of animals across a number of planets. Obviously, it was usually animals like bats or pigeons or things that were quick and native to the planet and could be trained quickly to get from position A to position B. Right. Another fun fact that the encyclopedia very briefly touches on and doesn't even really get into is eventually... Humans themselves are used as destrons. Wow. So humans have that crystal planted in them. Obviously, humans have soft, mushy brains, unlike Salago bats, apparently. So there was a higher risk with that, of course. But humans were eventually used across the galaxy as destrons for a while. Eventually, the destron technology basically becomes moot because something called crystal scramblers are invented. Again, nothing in the encyclopedia or the books explain what this means. Yeah. Just based off of the words there, we have to assume crystal blockers were invented, so these crystals didn't work anymore. So Destron sort of went out of style. Yeah. And again, I think going back to why this is so high on the list of probability to see it in the movie, Yeah, you think about these scenes with Fremen people, what an easy win for the filmmaker to have messenger bats. Yep. 
So it seems pretty likely to me, and, and I think we're, we're on the same page here, it seems pretty likely that at some point someone's going to receive message by bat. Yes. <laughs> and it's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be cool. And now you're going to know all about it. In fact, too much about it. <laughs> you're going to know about that bat's brain. You're going to know about the crystal in there. It's the Gomjabar way. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to lean over to your friends in the theater, and you're going to be that guy. <laughs> Psst. <laughs> Did you know... Later, there are crystal scramblers. They also tried it with humans, but we've got mushy brains, is what Abu said. Yes, dude. Please name drop me in your theater. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I agree. High probability that we'll see bats as messengers in the movie. And it would be cool. It would be a very cool nod to, again, a very small part of the lore that nobody besides you, me, and our listeners probably will ever know about. So. Right. But uh, I, I trust in Denny. I believe he will make it happen. Show us the bats. Show us the bats. The next thing we're going to talk about is going to be a very quick, just kind of a side, basically. But it belongs pretty high on this list, if the encyclopedia is to be believed. Mm -hmm. um, heart mollusks. Yeah. So we talked at length about these fleshy, muscly boys who, ooh, they love being shocked. Uh, <laughs> we talked about them in our Technology of Dune <laughs> If you haven't heard that episode, that's going to make no sense, <laughs> but <laughs> out of context, it's terrible. But we talked about them at length in Technology of Dune, mm -hmm. which is also spoiler free. So have a listen if you haven't already. Definitely. It's one of my favorite episodes that we've done. But the heart mollusks are these 300 pound, basically, muscles that are inside of the ornithopters and we have already seen ornithopters in the trailer yes so i would argue we've already seen heart mollusks as well but of course because the nature of the encyclopedia is that it is an in-world source that could have information that isn't universally true we could be seeing in the denis villeneuve movie some of the like jet propulsion basically helicopters yeah sans heart mollusk but you know i i hereby promise i'm going to be watching this movie believing that there's a 300 pound mollusk in every one of those helicopters hell yeah hell yeah i stand with heart mollusks for sure i'm going to be in that movie theater with you yes and every time an ornithopter comes on screen i'm going to lean over and i'm going to be like <laughs> leo 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 Psst. did you know there's a 300 pound <laughs> mollusk in there <laughs> yeah, I co-host the show with you. I oh, we 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 recorded that together. Oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck. We should have brought someone who didn't know Dune. <laughs> Put them between us. We don't have any other friends. Oh my god, stereo. Put them between us. Oh. Ah, that poor poor person. Is there no worse torture? <laughs> if you if you want to volunteer to go see Dune with me and Leo, hit us up. Hit us up. If you want to sit in between us so we can whisper. <laughs> Sweet lore facts into your ear. Dude, if it's safe by then, we should organize a New York going. That would be so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so our next animal, we're going to stick to Arrakis still. This is still a high likelihood that we will see this animal. Indeed. Is the kangaroo mouse. Woo! <laughs> and this is, uh, I imagine this will be in the movie. Yes. In fact, I would put money down that it will be. <laughs> yeah. But I imagine it'll be... Um, you know how in Star Wars you, we get sort of like an establishing shot of Tatooine and we see a womp rat like bouncing across the screen? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I imagine we'll get basically <laughs> exactly that. In fact, they'll probably just hit up the Star Wars guys and ask them to shoot over that film. 
throw that shot in there. But a kangaroo mouse is exactly what it sounds like. It's a tiny little mouse. Uh, it jumps. I imagine there's a reason it has kangaroo as an identifier as well. <laughs> there, kangaroo mice are a real thing. Oh. Tiny desert living critters. Oh, okay. They're adorable. They are the cutest little dumplings. Oh. They are adorable. <laughs> and this is part of a pattern of, we do see some established, the, the bats, the native arrakis bats, are not super otherworldly, right? Mm -hmm. Some of these creatures that we're talking about are insane, very fantasy, very sci-fi. But some of them are basically what you'd expect to find out in the universe, especially because naturally this happened on Earth, where specific species started in Europe and then through colonization and through war and through people moving around the globe, those animals are also brought around the globe. And you have cute little kangaroo mice who maybe if if they somehow had the ability to see their ancestral memories, <laughs> but maybe these kangaroo mice also go all the way back to Earth. It's totally, totally possible. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, I nerd out on. I like mice. They're cute. Yeah, that's cool. You know what? That shows my ignorance when it comes to animals. Real world lore. I did not know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my my knowledge of animals extends as far as cute puppies and some cute cats. And all of Dune. And all of Dune. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but why do we mention kangaroo mouse? Well, there, there's only a couple of things to say here. Like you said, they're real life mice based off of real actual creatures. Right. But they're important to Dune for a couple of reasons. One, the Fremen word for the kangaroo mouse is Mwadib. Right. And that's important because that's a name that Hall, our main character, Timothy Chalamet, adopts at one point. And we won't say more than that for spoiler reasons, of course. Right. But it's kind of cool that Paul adopts this cool-sounding name, Mwadib, and it, it actually is the Fremen word for this resilient little cute desert mouse that's able to survive in the harsh desert. Yeah. That's kind of badass. Yeah. Uh, another quick fun fact about the kangaroo mouse, its figure is visible in the planet's second moon. So Dune has two moons, very Tatooine-esque. Right. And uh, in one of those moons, again, in like a single paragraph maybe in the first book, <laughs> it just sort of vaguely says, Mwadib, the figure of the kangaroo mouse, was visible in the moon face. So there's a fun fact. That I'm not so sure we'll, we will see in the movie, but <laughs> maybe. Well, you know... Maybe the art department in some shot that has both moons will do like a shadow. That would be... Yeah. I feel like that's appropriate, you know? No, that, that would be very cool if they did that. Again, give me all the Easter eggs. I want them all. <laughs> uh, and then as you're looking up into the night sky, if you are bored of looking at the moon, maybe you look at the stars because <laughs> what do you know? There's a Mwadib constellation in the night sky of Arrakis as well. Amazing. So kangaroo mouse everywhere you look, baby. You know, I realized that in our, like, outro, we say spread the word of Mwadib. Now you know we're just talking about what kangaroo mice talk about. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, of course. Spread the word. Of course. Uh, so that is, honestly, that that's kind of it for kangaroo mouse. Like, there's not a whole lot to say there, but there's a lot of little fun facts and potential Easter eggs that we may see in the film. Right. That we want you to keep an eye out for. We'll certainly be keeping an eye out for them. And if you happen to be sitting between us in the theater, <laughs> we'll be sure to point them out to you. Also, I apologize from the bottom of my soul <laughs> if you end up in that terrible position. 
<laughs> exactly. The next chunk of animals, this is going to be sort of lightning style, not going to get into them too much because a lot of these are basically real animals, but mm -hmm. we will likely spot some of them in background in the background or maybe they'll be around in shots but there is a character named pardo kinds who introduces plants and animals to the planet in order to make it more livable basically so in our comfy critter corner it is worth celebrating these animals that kinds brought yeah pardo kinds introduced the following burrowing animals to dune yeah. Kit foxes, which are real and adorable. Kangaroo mice, as mentioned just now. Uh, desert hares, fun, rabbit, rabbit boys. And sand terrapins, which I had to Google it, means turtles. <laughs> or is, a, I guess, a kind of turtle. Ah. So, as any ecologist knows, you come into a problem. You've introduced these burrowing animals... And there's a lot of burrowing to be done. They're excited. They're having a blast. Mm -hmm, now there's mm -hmm. too many kangaroo mice, too many desert hares, and way, way too many sand terrapins. Ugh. Ugh, the worst. So you have to solve this problem by introducing something to eat them. Uh, and in this case, Kynes brought in uh, desert hawks, eagles, uh, two sizes of owl, because, you know, you got to have the... Owl Pro and Owl Pro Max, I guess, uh, or, or in this case, Dwarf Owls and Desert Owls. Finally, to, and this is, okay, the direct quote is to fill other necessary ecological niches, uh -huh. but I really think that this is just kinds like fucking with the kids of the planet because <laughs> he just brought the biggest grab bag of like creepy crawly nightmares. No. It's it's the worst. Come on, kids. Guess what I've brought? Scorpions, centipedes, trapdoor spiders, biting wasps, which that's probably a, a real thing, but it's the worst combination of words. And worm flies. Honestly, the only thing Kynes forgot to bring here was murder hornets. Murder hornets, yeah. Uh, these creepy crawlies, these buggos, these arthropods, fill out these sort of remaining niches that need to be for the planet to be stable. Exactly. Yeah, so Pardo Kynes has a big effect on the ecology of Dune and the environment and what animals that we may or may not see in the movie. Again, we are putting this in our first category of maybe slash probably we'll see in the film. Right. Just because these are animals that are on Arrakis by the time the movie takes place. And since the movie will most likely take place mostly on Arrakis, high probability that we'll see them in the film, probably just in the background, probably just in passing. But trust me, I'll scream either way. <laughs> yeah. Show me a Salago bat. Salago bat! <laughs> <laughs> so let's move, on, let's move on to our second category of animals. So we're moving on from Arrakis, from Dune, and from high probability into animals that are definitely referenced in the novels. Right. So we know they exist. They're not sort of from the encyclopedia or extended lore. Right. But they come up in later novels in the series. So there's a low chance that we'll see them here in the first Dune film. But if the Dune film does well and we get sequel films, there is a probability that we'll see some of these animals. But for now, we're going to call this sort of our... Uh, not likely category of animals. 
Right. But still interesting and still fun. Still interesting, still fun, and still make appearances in the novels. Definitely. Yeah, totally. And to start off, we have the Laza Tiger. The Laza Tiger is... So th these are genetically modified versions of Earth Tigers that we have come to uh, know and love because they're great, <laughs> as we kind of joked about in the Sardaukar episode. Tony the Tiger in the <laughs> in the Dune universe has taken on a very uh, malicious persona. Basically, they are just extremely resilient creatures who are, well, they're kind of able to survive anywhere. Oh, yeah. Just wildly dangerous, vicious, killing machines, basically. And they are used as well as training tools right? on a planet called Seleucus Secundus, which again, we covered in our Sardaukar episode. So that's a spoiler-free episode. Go check that one out as well. Yeah, totally. But these tigers are used for training on that planet. And they're, like you said, extremely resilient, extremely dangerous. And the way to control them is to implant a control chip into a little baby Laza tiger at birth so that when it grows up, it can be controlled and used in training exercises or just to scare children, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's like, Timmy, don't stay out after dark or the Laza tiger will get you. And like, that's not a ghost story that the Laza tiger will literally fucking get you. It's a, it's a setting on the Laza tiger <laughs> is if Timmy leaves the house, get him. Get him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, these tigers are uh, controlled with this chip that's implanted in them at birth. And of course, just imagine them as, uh, like you said, they're classic earth tigers, but they're genetically modified to be big and scary and resilient. Tony the tiger on steroids, folks. That's that's all it is. And the likelihood of the Laza tigers showing up is actually pretty high, yeah. I would argue, because they definitely appear later in the novels so if we can get past this first dune film and it can do well at the box <laughs> yeah. office and we get sequel films fingers crossed yeah high likelihood that we'll also get to see laza tigers on screen uh, which i'm excited for can't wait can't wait i hope they get the voice actor for tony the tiger to just do <laughs> roars <laughs> totally the next animal we're going to talk about is raya wolves yeah there are there's something called a d-wolf but we're just not going to talk about it there are some things that we are leaving out of this episode, again, because there's a joy in discovering. Yeah. That's that's basically all I'll say. But we are going to talk about Raya wolves. Yeah. Raya wolves are wolves uh, found on Seleucus Secundus. And if after the Sardaukar episode and after this, the last two animals, you're thinking, man, this planet turns out a lot of mean, <laughs> powerful things. You're not wrong. These are basically like earth wolves but so much more deadly and dangerous and basically are the limiting factor for weaker animals on Seleucus Secundus they exist to eat weaker things and keep weaker things in check <laughs> yeah they're a check and balance they're a check and balance on a planet that already has like way too many checks and balances <laughs> plenty of checks and balances so many negative 60 degrees fahrenheit it's a chilly night add wolves <laughs> plus wolves <laughs> plus wolves plus laza tigers it's a harsh planet you know and you might think on this negative 40 degrees blustery night on this terrible planet it's okay i can outrun mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these wolves which are which are uh, hunting me well, I've got some bad news for you. Real bad news. <laughs> and this is shocking. I mean, this is really, this is a lot, <laughs> a lot to take in. 
There are reports that Raya wolves have been recorded at running 95 kilometers per hour. Hello. <laughs> That's okay. Wait, my stupid 95 kilometers per hour. Okay. Came. Yeah, can we convert that to football fields? How many? 90... <laughs> can we convert that to football fields? <laughs> that is sixty miles an hour. Sixty miles. So per hour. for for American listeners, that is sixty miles per hour. These wolves would get speeding tickets in most American cities. That's crazy. So, uh, good luck. Rest in peace. Because again. There's no winning. No. There's no escaping. That's wild. It's so fast. You're not about to outrun a Raya wolf. And in addition to that, the craftier ones of you might be thinking, <laughs> well, hey, I'm sure a grown Raya wolf right. could run 95 kilometers an hour and catch me. Right. Why don't I hunt it yeah. when it's just a little baby? You know, maybe around the four-week mark. Defenseless. Right. Well, too bad. Too bad. Because <laughs> let me tell you, at four weeks, a young Raya wolf pup... Yeah is capable of hunting its own food. It's self-reliant at four weeks. I'm 30, and I almost can't hunt my own food. <laughs> so, just to put things in comparison. <laughs> wow. 30 years or 30 days. That's the difference. You know? And this, this young pup, this young <laughs> rye wolf, that you were foolish enough to think that you could hunt. I can't. No. Can't do it. No, you can't. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, 95 kilometers an hour, these these youngins are out there living independent lives at just four <laughs> weeks, something that took me 20 years to figure out. They've got their own apartments. They're like... Yeah, paying their own bills four weeks in, like, uh, wild. Honestly, hashtag inspiration. I mean... Oh, exactly. Raya wolves. Yeah. I see you. Live that Raya wolf life, you know? <laughs> That's what I always say. You're always saying that. So it, it's incredible. These animals are... <laughs> amazing and scary and native to Seleucus Secundus and uh, don't plan a vacation to that planet for sure. Unless you're looking for that sweet, sweet rye wolf fur, baby. Oh, looks great. <laughs> We've talked about how deadly they are, but have you seen them on the catwalk? Oh, oh. slay. Fierce, fierce. <laughs> Literally and also <laughs> figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. Exactly. Yeah, so so Raya wolf fur, their pelts, are um, apparently extremely glossy and very highly valued in fashionable society, as all dangerous things are. You know, there's definitely like a direct correlation between danger and how much humans want it. So right, right. here's a great example of that. If you own a Raya wolf fur coat, people know you're a badass. Or I imagine like, if you have like a study or a lounge, you might have a Ryle Wolf pelt in front of the fireplace, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's the lounge you bring the ladies home to first. You know, you're like, you want to go sit on my Ryle Wolf chair? <laughs> wow. Feels like this could have run 95 kilometers per hour and could hunt at four weeks. Uh, Damn straight. <laughs> exactly. But despite how badass the Ryle Wolves may be, they did have one shortcoming. Because at one point, House Carino, one of the houses in the Empire that we talked about in our Factions episode, right. tries to transplant this wolf to other planets. They take it off Seleucus Secundus, right. try to breed them on other planets, and it doesn't work out. The wolves couldn't survive <laughs> yeah. in any environment that was, take this, <laughs> less harsh than Seleucus Secundus. It's too nice. 
I don't like it. <laughs> I'm dying. It's too nice. It's too easygoing. The weather is too temperate. <laughs> California killing me. New York killing me. Literally, they could only live on the worst planet because they're too hardcore. They're too hardcore for everything else. Yeah. I bought you this beautiful blanket, Wolf, and it goes, no, ah, ah, it'll kill me. Get it away from me. Too comfortable. They're so punk rock. <laughs> so punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely wild. Shouts to Raya Wolves. Live that Raya Wolf life. <laughs> I, for one, love them. Yeah. Probably my top animal we talk about today. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Because this next fucking animal definitely ain't. Yeah. Th- fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this... Uh, God. Um, I don't. How do we even start? I don't even know how to start. I mean, I, sl- I slipped into a southern accent that's not even mine. <laughs> I said the word ain't because I just I'm dreading talking about this. Chair dogs. Chair dogs. Chair dogs. Before we say anything, uh-huh. allow those two nouns to just sit next to each other for a second. Yeah. Chair dogs. Let that simmer for a bit. What do you imagine? Because whatever it is. It ain't that. It's It ain't that. It's better <laughs> than what is in the book, which is... Uh, it's absolutely fucked up. I, I wish I didn't know this fact, and we apologize for implanting this fact in your brain. But we have to. It is our duty as Gamjabar hosts right. and Dune fans. We have to, yeah. We have to tell you about this. All right, enough preamble. Here we go. Yeah. One more thing. Chair dogs are absolutely fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More preamble, please. <laughs> okay, uh, for, for real this time. So um, chair dogs make an appearance very late in the novels. I highly doubt we will see them in any form in the movies but they do make an appearance very late in the uh in frank herbert's novel series right i truly wish they didn't <laughs> in essence chair dogs are bioengineered dogs shaped like chairs yeah that are trained to massage anyone who sits down on them i hate it i hate it i hate it so much i hate it it's the worst <laughs> it's the worst thing and I will emphasize here, they are fucking everywhere. Everywhere. This is the sort of weird shit that I expect on a page in a paragraph. But no, they're everywhere. You said you don't expect to see them. It will be an active choice. If someone were to make a film adaptation of um, uh, Chapter House or Heretics, if someone makes an adaptation, they will have to choose... Not to include chair dogs, which, please, make the choice. Please. Get them out. Do not have them in the movie. That is the brave choice. But it will have to be a choice. Much like glow globes are in the background of every scene, and we will almost certainly see, you know, some of these other elements that we've talked about over the last few episodes. Chair dogs are in so many situations because they're effectively, for a lot of people, it seems like, much later on, are their chairs right? Yeah, I've got my chair dog. Yeah, you know, chair dog sale on Veterans Day. Come get them. <laughs> Mattress discounters. We've got chair dogs. <laughs> it's terrible. Get rid of them. <laughs> it's terrible. It's awful. What have we done? Never ever show this to me on screen, Hollywood or anyone else. Well, okay. So let's let's clean our palate of chair dogs uh-huh. with something delicious, something delectable. Mm. And also something that exists at, a, at an extremely uncomfortable crossroads. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sligs. Take a moment. Again, 
Take a moment. Take a moment. Sligs. S-L-I-G-S. Used for meat. Okay. So you can kind of intuit probably that these are half pig. Probably, right? The first part is slug. We Why? 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 Why would you do this? This is a cross. Sligs are a cross between a giant slug uh-huh. and a pig. And they're terrible, but delicious. Terrible, but also delicious. And the Benny Tlalax made these. Of course. Those fuckers. <laughs> those fucking wily coyotes. They made these sligs. And it's the way it's worded in the books kind of makes it sound like they're kind of on purpose trolling people, making this really delicious hybrid animal yeah. that is superb for meat production and, and for these things, but is then also repulsive and terrible. Sort of, we just made the best thing in the world, but we made it awful. So take that, idiots. It's oh, it's terrible. Yeah, that's exactly the vibe that I'm getting to. Uh, I mean, they're they're disgusting. They're described as having multiple mouths. Why? Yeah. And their skin secretes a slimy residue, as you would expect from a creature that is half giant slug. Ugh, yeah. Not that pigs are the most beautiful creatures in the first place. Like, <laughs> Oh, they're beautiful. Nah, I dude. love them. <laughs> I love pigs. They get dirty sometimes, but pigs are, pigs are such charming creatures. They get real dirty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sligs, uh, even saying the words upset me. Disgusting. Uh, like chair dogs, Sligs make appearances in later books. Mm-hmm. This is in the category of as future movies are made, a, a decision will have to be made about do we include this or not? Because they're terrible and they're awful <laughs> looking and honestly would probably distract me a little bit from <laughs> the plot. Yeah, definitely. But, but that meat though. That meat. That meat though. Yes. Again, we, we're we're talking about how visually disgusting they are as animals. Yeah. But when you chop them up, you cut them up, and you fry them, or whatever you do with meat, I guess. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> slig, slig steaks. Two things I don't know about, cooking and animals. <laughs> this episode's going great. This meat, extremely savory, extremely tender, and delicious all around. The emperor of the known universe yeah. once called it, and I'm going to quote the emperor here, quote, the sweetest meat this side of heaven. <sighs> I. So there you go. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> They're absolutely disgusting animals yeah. that taste amazing. The best chicken sandwich you've ever had. The Sligs. Now at Popeye's. <laughs> the line is around the block. <laughs> you know, it's like the McRib. It's the McSlig. <laughs> the McSlig! Yes! McSlig's back at whatever fucking McDonald's. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Disgusting. Disgusting, but so good. Damn it. <laughs> the dichotomy is hard to wrap uh, your mind around. Right. So that's our second category of animals. Right. Our final category of animals, Leo, is animals that are from the extended lore or that make such a brief appearance in later novels that there's basically no way we're seeing this on screen at any point, but they're still just so fun. Yeah, like, are they even in the books? <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this next animal we're going to talk about called a thorse. Mm-hmm. I came across in the encyclopedia as I was researching for today's episode. Yeah. And I, for the life of me, could not remember if this was ever even mentioned. Right. Or if this was just like made-up extended lore stuff that only the encyclopedia was mentioning. And you actually did the research and you looked in God Emperor of Dune, the fourth novel in the series, and you specifically found that Thorse, the word Thorse, 
is mentioned twice. Right. Literally <laughs> one paragraph has the word twice in it uh, in two separate sentences. And that's these, these are the two times it's mentioned that I could find. Again, later books, it might be here or there, but to the degree of such scarcity that I don't even know. And that that I think is the point. But let's talk about them. They're kind of fun. And we might see them because I feel like this is a pretty easy thing to just put in the background to <laughs> signal to the audience, you're watching a movie. It's fantasy. It's sci-fi. Yeah. You know, they are six-legged furry horses <laughs> that are around a pretty sizable amount of time after the first Dune book. So again, definitely not going to see it early on. Later on, much later on, we might see them. Yeah. And they are load-bearing horses, basically, with bonus legs. Uh, strong, sturdy yeah. horses with added legs. <laughs> right. And, and they're big boys. Yeah. They, the encyclopedia explains that the horses can weigh up to 2,000 kilograms. Which is? Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how many football fields? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's about 4,400 pounds. It's a lot. 4,400 pounds. Yeah. That's a lot. So they can weigh up to 4,400 pounds, 2,000 kilograms, and they can extend up to six meters long. Wow. So these are these are big boys. Wait, how many football fields? That is uh, uh, 6% of a football field. <laughs> nice. nice. Or 20 feet long. 20 feet long. <laughs> I feel like that didn't really hit you until you said that. I mean, think about it. That's that's really quite large. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, forty up to 4,400 pounds and up to 20 feet long, six legs. Just imagine this picture we're painting. Crazy. That Frank Herbert is painting for us. That's awesome. It's cool. It's cool. Can you imagine the sounds? It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> but I imagine they're kind of cute too, you know? Yeah. If you can get past the six legs and the... I imagine they're cute. It's better than fucking chair dogs. And what's, what's really great about Thoris's, you know, what really makes them viable as animals that are helpful carrying around your goods or helping on a farm or whatever, right. is that they don't need a lot of food to maintain their double C thickness. <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah. they have a... They, their digestive system has multiple stomachs <laughs> and it can process basically any type of vegetable matter. So this makes it really easy for Thorses to exist on virtually any planet in the Empire, which makes them extremely versatile animals that are useful for all types of uses. They're strong, they're sturdy, they're big, they don't need a whole lot of maintenance and food, and uh, they can feed on whatever the natural flora and fauna of a planet is, because they can digest it and turn it into nutrients. So very versatile and very useful Thorses. I'm a fan. Yeah. Uh, and in case you were wondering, Leo, yeah. I hate to get into this, but we have to. Sure. It's tradition. I, I was wondering. <laughs> Thor's meat. Yeah. If you're a monster and you kill your Thor's. I mean, times get tough. You eat your Thor's. Times do get tough. Yeah, right. That's what they say. It's the old saying. <laughs> <laughs> Thor's meat is stringy but tasty. Okay. And that is as descriptive as it gets. Is it the tastiest meat this side of heaven? No. That's slicks. No, that's slicks. A hundred percent slicks. But Thor's meat can also be tasty as well. So if times get tough and you need to kill your Thor's, you can. It it is funny to me that there is this emphasis in the encyclopedia of let's describe the animal. Now that you have a clear picture of what the animal looks like, 
how does it taste? <laughs> how does it taste? Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, you got to wonder. You got to wonder. And again, to be fair, 20 feet long, was it 4,400 pounds? Is that right? 4,400, yeah. 4,400 pounds. That's a lot of meat. It's a lot of meat. That'll get you through the winter. That'll get you through the winter. So our final entry in this delightful smorgasbord. Uh, I love this. I love that you asked to include this. You know, we we had to. We we absolutely had to. Anybody who's seen the 1984 David Lynch film mm-hmm. may have noticed an interesting uh, addition to the movie. I saw the movie and then reread the books thinking I had missed a delightful detail. <laughs> but no, this is something that only appeared in the 1984 film. Starting to wonder if it was intentional, although from some of the shots, it had to be. Had to be. Pugs. 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 Everywhere. So many pugs. And, you know, I've seen essays debating why pugs exist in the David Lynch film. And it seems to be the predominant theory that I was finding was that it signals as dog owners, characters with lovable, attractive animals who are you know, known to be sweet domestic animals makes those characters then endearing. Yeah. So it's sort of signaling that they're protagonists. But there, there are just so many pugs. How much signaling are we doing? So much. So many signals. All of them. So many pugs. And what, what really gets me, Leo, <laughs> is sure, whatever. Right. David Lynch is like, let's include pugs in this thing. Sure. The Atreides have a lot of pugs because yeah. they're a ro- royal family. Yeah. If I was rich... If I owned a planet, sure. I would also own a ton of dogs. Same. I can let right. that slide. Cool. The thing that gets me right. is later in the film, right. during a battle, yep. a character named Gurney Halleck, who's a warrior, right. carries a pug into battle. <laughs> he has a gun in one hand and a pug in the other. It's morale. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he died how he lived. He died with a pug in an arm. Also, played by Patrick Stewart. I mean, it's really iconic. A, an iconic moment in film. Just, if you haven't seen the film, Patrick Stewart holding a pug and a gun while explosions go off around him as he's charging into <laughs> a battle. It's absolutely mind-boggling. It's impossible to process that scene, because the entire time you're like, is he holding a pug? And you have lost context <laughs> of where you are in the film, who you are, and what's happening. Filmmaking 101, distract him with pugs. <laughs> It's absolutely wild, and to this day, I, the 1984 film is something I'm extremely torn on. I will say, uh, as much as us talking about the pugs in this incredible scene might entice you into watching the 84 film, I do recommend it at some point, but first, r- read the book. Yeah. Read the book, or watch the Villeneuve movie when it comes out, and then later on, you know, get some friends together, have some drinks. Yeah, definitely. You know, put on some Samuda music and smoke some Alaka drug. <laughs> Get your Spacing Guild buddies together and uh, enjoy the just utter... Exactly. <laughs> There's so many pugs. I don't know. There's no words. There's just no words. There's just pugs. It's wild. I will say, Leo, as much as we're harping on the pugs being in the film and how weird it is, right? I would actually love, this would get me to giggle, if there was a pug Easter egg in Denny Villeneuve's film. Yes. 
in the upcoming film, there's like a, a very minor pug in the shot or like yes. there's a statue of a pug or yeah. like it would be hilarious. So good. And a cheeky nod to the Lynch film if a pug made an appearance. And I, I actually kind of hope it does. Yeah. I I think that's a superb idea. And I hope I hope Villeneuve is listening. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like there's time between now and when the movie comes out. Well, you know what? I'll email him. I've been emailing him for months, so I'll I'll good. tag this one on. <laughs> good. You too? Okay, good. Glad to know that we're both emailing him constantly. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so to wrap up today, we always like to end our episodes with a fun little question for the two of us. Right. Obviously, we've talked about a number of unique and interesting animals that are in the Dune universe. Some are fictional. Some are based on real-life animals we know and love. I'm curious... Which animal of any of these, if you could domesticate, would you keep as a pet? The difficulty with this question is that in order, we went from four football field long giant sandworms, 300 pound heart mollusks. Yeah. We talked about bats. <laughs> bats are cool. I don't, I don't mind bats. Chair dogs. Hate it. I hate them. I hate them. But I love dogs. I, I can't bring myself to give chair dogs as the answer. No, absolutely not. I won't even accept that answer. <laughs> You're like, if I said it, you would stop recording and the episode would end. Um, God, I feel like so many of these have such maintenance. You know, like I'd love a Thorse. Just imagine like riding around town on a 20 foot long, 44 pound. <laughs> Six legged horse. But it, like, again, it's like laza tigers and rywolves are just deadly killers, basically. And I don't need that, that energy in my life. Yeah, yeah. Man. I guess, I guess something boring. You're about to say slags, aren't you? No, 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 no. That's not even, not even remotely a consideration. <laughs> I would say if I could domesticate one of these animals and have it as a pet, this is so disappointing, but I would say like a kit fox, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. It's, it's such a, it's a real animal. <laughs> it's like of all of these, you're like, choose which ad amazing thing you can take from this <laughs> other world. And I'm like, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the actual real world fox, please would love it. I don't know. Right. It's, it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's not a great selection. No. <laughs> they all come with kind of crazy downsides. Yeah. They all, they all come with a number of caveats. So I'm really curious. You go in with the slig? <laughs> I'm not going with a slig at all, no. So slig and share dog. You sure? Uh, you hesitated. You know. And if you didn't, I'll add a hesitation <laughs> in post. Yeah, if you could just edit out my hes hesitation earlier and make it sound like I immediately <laughs> said no to slig's, that would be great, Leo. Just a side note. I, I think my answer to this question, I thought about it a little bit, and I'm actually not as averse to the the wolves as you are. Really? I would actually love a husky as a dog, and huskies are basically just like domesticated wolves. Oh, so if I could domesticate one of these animals and uh, have them as a pet. Like a rye wolf? Uh, I was thinking Laza tiger, but tigers are kind of scarier. I would go the rye wolves because, you know, they run so fast. After four weeks, I basically have to stop taking care of them. Right. <laughs> they hunt for themselves. <laughs> How do your neighbors feel about it hunting on its own? <laughs> Weird. I thought my neighbors had pets. Oh, they did. <laughs> Look, it's a wolf. They're not going to say shit. Right. It's a giant, scary-ass wolf. <laughs> It's going to do what it will, but it's going to be my best friends. I'm imagining like a Princess Mononoke situation. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you know, sometimes we go on walks. Sometimes uh, we go hunting together. Everyone is just envious of my wolf's fur, which 
of course, I will take care of sure. and make sure that right. my wolf gets only the best organic meats. <laughs> and the the one caveat, like we said, a number of caveats with these animals. The one caveat here is I can't let my wolf be too comfortable or it'll die. <laughs> right, right, right. So every now and then I think we'll have to do something like real dangerous, like scale a mountain or uh, go live in a in an igloo in sub-zero temperatures or something. Right, just right. to Just to make sure the wolf... Uh, stays alive and active. I am choosing to look at the silver lining there. That would push me to be a bit more adventurous. Me and my wolf <laughs> doing dangerous things together. You know, the pet that motivates you <laughs> to make changes in life. <laughs> exactly. I'm a risk-averse person, and I think wow, Rhea... Abu's like living in volcanoes now. <laughs> yeah. It's his pet. Exactly. Exactly. Just <laughs> a Raya wolf. Yeah. So the, the Raya wolf would be my, my pick for the animal that I would... Uh, domesticate we'd go on adventures together i can see it now hbo make it happen side note princess mononoke her wolf chews on the head of her friend at one point yeah and she has to be like stop <laughs> and the wolf goes okay well leo i'm not guaranteeing that won't happen to <laughs> oh, oh heck <laughs> oh no <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.